You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with that shocking attack at a Richmond library during an open house last night. Emotions were running high at the meeting about temporary modular housing. And when tempers boiled over, a librarian took the brunt of the violence. Now RCMP need your help to find the suspect. Ted Chernecki reports. It was supposed to be a civilized discussion about Richmond's first proposed modular unit housing project on Elmbridge Way when this happened. It isn't clear why the man did this to a woman wearing an anti-bullying pink shirt. The mayor's upset about it and the RCMP are looking for the suspect. The whole situation is uh, is ironic, uh, you know, that she should have, that this young man should have done this in a library, at a consultation uh, to uh, uh, an older female, uh, one wearing a bullying t-shirt, the pink, on the, on the anti-bullying day, it's just all hard to understand. The Richmond RCMP are currently asking the people that might have uh, been at that gathering to contact us if they have information on this uh, alleged incident, and uh, we are currently investigating it. Hundreds of people had packed an open house last night. BC Housing wants to build a 40-unit, three-story complex. Some are unhappy about what is being described as a five-year shelter for the homeless, saying it could devalue their properties. I think we have to separate. <clears throat> we have to say that this is not going to be taken into account in that consultation. We need to listen to the substance of the consultation and, and deal with this uh, alleged criminal act separately. The project goes before council later this spring, and if approved, construction would begin in the late fall or early 2019. Ted Chernaki, Global News. A scary scene in Vancouver and a lucky escape for a driver. A car flew more than two stories down into a construction pit, landing on its roof. It happened at Victoria and 41st. Vancouver Fire, along with paramedics, worked to rescue the driver. He put it in reverse, wide open throttle. And then when he drove into the parked cars, he realized that wasn't working for him, so he put it in forward and went wide open throttle through the fence into the hole. The driver is thought to be in his late 70s, and his injuries are believed to be serious. A cell phone fire or a cell phone sparked the fire aboard an Air Canada flight bound for Vancouver this morning. It happened just as the plane was preparing to take off from Toronto, leaving a woman with serious burns. Jennifer Palma explains how it all unfolded. It's not something you want to see at takeoff. Firefighters coming down the aisle. The flight attendant, she just sort of looked up after handing out water and paper and said, there's a fire. Air Canada Flight 101 was set to leave Toronto's Pearson Airport this morning at 7 a.m., bound for Vancouver when the blaze broke out. We have to do it a couple times. Ontario Peel Regional Police say it was a female passenger's phone that caught fire. People were jumping out of their seats, and I looked behind me, and in the aisle, it looked like a small campfire-sized flame. Yeah, a lot of smoke and, and flames, and um, the person who owned the phone uh, was trying to uh, stomp, stomp it out. And then some lady went, put her clothes on it, put out the fire. It happened in the back of the Boeing 787-9, carrying 266 passengers. Those on board and Air Canada credit the crew with quick action. The company adding there was no damage to the aircraft. However, the owner of the phone was injured and treated by emergency services. Everybody just stayed really calm and the, the crew was really calm and they really handled it really well. The fire crew came and she 
they were looking after because their hand was burnt, I think. Police say it was an LG phone. LG Canada says they take these claims very seriously and are gathering information to determine what may have occurred with this particular device. I'm thinking if it was 20 minutes later up in the air, it would have been a really serious situation. The flight departed Toronto for Vancouver after a two-hour delay. The woman suffered burns to her body and clothing. The investigation is ongoing. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Prepare to shell out more for hydro. The B.C. Utilities Commission today rejecting the NDP's request to freeze rates. Keith Baldry is live with more on this and how much it's going to cost homeowners and when. Keith. Yeah, well, the rate increase uh, takes effect April 1st, Chris. This was an NDP campaign promise. Uh, not unexpectedly, the BC Utilities Commission said, look, Hydro simply doesn't have the money to freeze rates. They have to have more revenue than what's already coming in to meet uh, service requirements. We caught up with a very disappointed Energy Minister, Michelle Mungal, uh, just a short time ago. Well, they're very clear in a nutshell that this is... A mess. There is a mess that is at BC Hydro. It needs to be cleaned up, and I hear that. So uh, the government is taking some measures. First of all, there's going to be a new lifeline rate established for low-income earners. Uh, legislation expected sometime in this session. Also, a new maximum $600 grant for economic hardship and emergency cases, such as if you lose your job or you suddenly have big medical bills and you can't pay your hydro bills. Uh, that's going to be taking effect in May. And finally, there is, as Michelle Mungal seemed to indicate, a comprehensive review of BC, all of BC Hydro. It does ha have some enormous financial pressures, and I don't think they want that Crown Corp to get anywhere near the state that ICBC is in right now. Rightly or wrongly, the BC Liberals jumped all over this. Uh, is the mm -hmm. NDP going to take a, a hit over this? Well, you know, it is a broken campaign promise, no question. I think they've taken some mitigating steps with this new uh, changing the rates or lowering the rates for low-income earners. But at the end of the day, in terms of money, it, BC Hydro just told me it works out to about $23, $24 a day, uh, um, year in higher electricity costs than if you didn't have this 3% increase taking effect April 1st. So getting rid of the tolls, getting rid of, rid of MSP premiums, I think those are far more popular than a $24 hike uh, than uh, to your hydro bill that you weren't expecting just a few weeks ago. Mm, probably right. Okay, thanks, Keith. And we know there was much more excitement in the Capitol today, which we'll get to now. A noticeable buzz at the legislature, a full house in attendance for a key vote. The budget, the first real test of the Thank new you, government. Please, please, well, of course, it passed with 44 votes in favor and 41 against. The Green Party voting in favor as expected, giving the NDP the mandate to move forward. The reality is, is the budget vote is the confidence vote, and uh, we've just had it, and we had the numbers to, uh, to carry the day. So for the time being, it looks like uh, we have a minority government that's going to be surviving for some time. A warning tonight to watch what you post online. The Internet is a great place to vent your feelings about a business or service, but if you go too far, you'll be punished. A Richmond bride has been ordered to pay more than $100,000 to her wedding planner after essentially destroying the woman's business. Aaron MacArthur explains. In the service industry, nothing is as important as online reviews. For one Richmond wedding company, a hard-won reputation was destroyed by one dissatisfied customer and a constant stream of vitriol across every social media platform. Words like scammed and evil business and bait and switch were used in both English and Chinese, the wedding company's reputation so badly damaged, the owners had no choice but to sue.
they feel vindicated. I think that's the, the key word here. Nobody, nobody's ever really happy when these things happen. The judge in the case was unequivocal in the ruling, saying this case is an example of the dangers of using the Internet to publish information without proper regard for its accuracy. And people must be given the message that there will be consequences if their publications are defamatory. Amara Weddings and its owners, Kitty Chan and Kevin Leung, were awarded $115,000. Lawyers who work in defamation say it's a judgment everyone needs to pay attention to. The courts have come down very strongly against people who use the Internet to defame, be it Facebook, be it social media posts or personal blogs. Uh, the court's been really clear that just because it's online doesn't mean it gets special treatment. If it defames someone, uh, the courts are, have been willing to impose damages. Online, the comment section can live forever. And even comments that are deleted are retweeted or shared. And the reputation of a company will never recover. You can deal with extreme negativity online, but it's very expensive, very time-consuming. It's not a situation that you want to get into. What we try to do is counter the negative with the positive. The judgment came too late for Amara Wedding. They're out of business. Their storefront leased to another wedding company. Writing in an email, while the money from the judgment is welcomed, it was never the point. Salvaging their reputation, far more valuable. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vancouver-based Mountain Equipment Co-op has heard the public outcry and is cutting ties with a company that makes guns. In particular, a rifle that's similar to one used in the recent mass school shooting in Florida. The company's CEO telling our Jordan Armstrong how it came to the decision. Popular brands like Bole, Bushnell, Camelback, Camp Chef and Jimmy Sticks will no longer be restocked by Mech. The Vancouver-based co-op bowing to pressure to drop the labels owned by Vista Outdoor, a company that also manufactures ammunition and firearms similar to the weapon used to kill 17 students and staff at a high school in Parkland, Florida. The decision we've made is an important one, um, taking the, the majority of voices we've heard and there is a desire to advance the discussion on gun control. Mech has stopped ordering Vista products, but existing inventory will remain on shelves until it sells. The retailer's decision coming after an online petition generated 50,000 signatures in four days. I'm not surprised. What we've seen in four days is a really compact period of people uh, speaking out. This isn't the first time that MEC has been challenged around their products, and they've once again stepped up. MEC has five million members and nearly two dozen stores across Canada. It's busiest in Vancouver. Shoppers we spoke to are pleased. This is coming from this movement of, of students in, in America applying pressure, and businesses are taking note because it's going to affect their profits. And there's a lot of emotion around this one. So we've had a lot of feedback. And the CEO acknowledges not all of it positive. There certainly have been some angry, uh, some angry comments as well of, of people that think we've turned our back on, on, on hunting and, and sport shooting. And what do you say to those customers? We haven't. To me, this is not a discussion about anything other than sensible civilian gun control. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A record year for cargo movement through the port of Vancouver. Overall, cargo volume through the port reached a record high of 142.1 million tons in 2017. That's up 5% from 2016. Sectors experiencing strong growth include bulk grain, 
which saw an 8% increase, and the auto sector with a 9% increase. Port officials say the banner year reflects the strength of the Canadian economy, as well as the port's ability to accommodate a diversified range of cargo. Well, if you live on Vancouver Island, you may have felt an earthquake today. It happened about 162 kilometers northwest of Port Hardy. The four and a half magnitude shaker struck around 10.30 this morning. There was a smaller aftershock of 3.8 a few minutes later. No damage has been reported or could be detected from a quake of this size. They are common in the area where three tectonic plates brush up against each other. Vancouver has taken another step toward its goal of becoming the greenest city in the world. The city has unveiled its new zero waste center in South Vancouver. It's part of a plan to reduce the amount of garbage we divert from landfills to zero by the year 2040. The new facility, for example, will process the equivalent of a swimming pool full of plastic bags every month, helping establish Vancouver as a world leader in recycling. It's painful to travel somewhere else and you end up throwing away, uh, whether it's aluminum cans or, um, or paper or different items that we've been recycling here for years. Uh, we're going to the next level here at the Zero Waste Centre and, and making sure we're, we're adding to what we can recycle and reuse. The facility will not only recycle, but as the mayor suggests, reuse items such as bicycles, books, power tools and electronics. Right now, though, an Abbotsford woman living on a disability is wondering what happened to Compassion after being ordered to pay thousands of dollars in fines. As John Wall reports, she lost her battle to be allowed to live in her late mother's condo. It's a love-filled, beautiful condo in Abbotsford. Agnes Stevens left to her daughter, Coralie. She wanted me to have, finally have a home that was mine. But the 1,400-square-foot unit in Central Heights Manor sits empty, while the 48-year-old on disability is forced to live in a trailer, worried about where she might park it next. It would, it would kill her. My mom loved her kids. The reason the Strata building is meant for senior residents only. When Stevens moved in anyways, the Strata started doling out fines. A total of more than $13,000 ordered to be paid in small claims court. Yeah, the rules here are 55 and up. And she's not 55, so we ask her that she can't live here anymore. Not all residents agree, some even claiming age exemptions had been made in the past. She has no children, she's a very quiet person, you don't even know she exists. It's not fair to make a homeless person out of anybody. Some people live with below 55 and we working on them too. Now right here, there actually used to be a for sale sign for Stevens unit. After losing the small claims case, she decided to sell the property, pay the fines and just move on. But days after it was listed, she received this notice from the Strata Council saying that nearly $90,000 in legal fees would be levied against the sale of her property. Feels like I've been hit by a bus and I'm laying on the ground with one finger up saying, help me. And they turn around or they back up and run over me again. Stevens has taken the unit off the market for now, saying there won't be enough money left to find a comparable place to live. I don't want to lose everything. I've already lost enough. Including a late mother's wish that her daughter find peace after her passing. And never again have to worry about finding a place to call home. John Hua, Global News.
Plans are now in place to bring down Vancouver's Empire Landmark Hotel, but it won't be with an implosion taking minutes. Instead, it'll be with the help of a robot that'll take about a year. That is the Brock 90 that'll be doing much of the work to demolish the 42-story building on Robson floor by floor. The debris will be dumped down an elevator shaft and hauled away. The hotel and its revolving Cloud 9 restaurant were only 43 years old, but they're making way for a pair of 31 and 32-story condo towers. Victoria's police chief says it's time the provincial government changed the way it distributes welfare checks. Chief Del Manick says something needs to be done to ease the crush of 911 calls that always follow so-called Welfare Wednesday. Kylie Stanton reports. The sound of sirens ripping through city streets is becoming all too common in the wake of the fentanyl crisis. But it peaks on the last Wednesday of every month when income assistance checks are handed out and first responders are reaching their breaking point. The fact that we are responding for two or three days right after Welfare Wednesday uh, is delaying our response time for other people who may need the service more urgently and, and that is a concern. Victoria's chief of police wants the provincial government to consider staggering the distribution of the payments to help ease the burden. He says the surge in calls can last up to three days after the money is paid out. The majority are overdose-related, and the problem isn't confined to the capital. I think it would help relieve some of the pressure that we do see on the, uh, the Wednesday check release and fully support it. According to the BC Coroner's Service, there are on average nearly six fatal overdoses that occur during the days following income assistant payment, compared to only three and a half on all other days in 2017. This frontline worker argues any changes to when the checks are distributed won't impact those numbers, only spread them out. On top of that, there could be unintended consequences. There's a potential for some victimization. If we're both in desperate straits and you get your money a week before I do, then I might try to get your money. Um, and then there's, there's the unpredictability. It will be up to the province to find a way to support all parties, first responders and frontline workers, all while keeping in mind the needs of those relying on income assistance. What we have to do is determine uh, um, whether it is significantly beneficial to make a change. Until then, first responders will continue to brace themselves for a monthly onslaught of overdoses. It's not going away. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A hypersonic cruise missile that can reach any nation in the world. Just one of a new generation of nuclear weapons announced today by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Experts worried today's explosive announcement could trigger a new arms race. In his last major speech before presidential elections, he's almost guaranteed to win again. Vladimir Putin sounded more like his Cold War predecessors, warning of a nuclear war, showing elaborate animations of what he called invincible nuclear weapons. Like this apparently new low-flying cruise missile, described as having a limitless range and unpredictable flight path evading American missile defenses, and shown targeting the United States. And a long-range underwater drone, tipped with a nuclear warhead. I think we ought to take this very seriously. Vladimir Putin is a very serious leader. He has a powerful scientific establishment behind him. And several of these weapons will be game changers. President Trump, seldom critical of Russia, didn't respond. 
but the White House did. U.S. defense capabilities are and will remain second to none. And now, because of the new defense budget of $700 billion, our military will be far stronger than ever. To some, it all harkens back to the duck and cover days of the American Soviet arms race. But not everyone is convinced. The little threat about nuclear weapons was really interesting because, uh, boy, if ever there were an empty threat, that was it. But the Pentagon has been warning that Russia has been developing advanced cruise missiles. Putin saying today, nobody listened to us. It's time to listen to us now. Well, it's not nuclear war, but a trade war many are worried about today with Donald Trump promising steep tariffs on aluminum and steel imports. Canada ships more steel to the U.S. than any other country, and experts are already warning about serious consequences on both sides of the border. A lot of good things. Today's presidential proposal means you could pay more for products made with steel and aluminum after Donald Trump announced punishing new tariffs. It'll be 25 percent for steel. It'll be 10 percent for aluminum. And it'll be for a long period of time. The move meant to target China. Dow going out with a decline of more than 430 points on the bell. Moved markets fast, with the Dow dropping on fears of an international trade war. But the president, in protectionist mode, argues this will ultimately help key industries and jobs at home, like Harris Steel in Illinois. Yeah, they want to protect okay, manufacturing in the United States, which, which is great, but I think there's other ramifications. But for consumers? The winners here are steel companies in the United States who sell steel. The losers are any company that buys steel, and that means they're going to pass those costs on to their customers. So how much more could you pay for, say, a car or a washing machine? It's still not clear, with few details after a seemingly off-the-cuff announcement. The president's position is no surprise. We're going to bring back our jobs. He campaigned on it with tough talk on tariffs even as far back as 2011, specifically challenging China. Listen, you going to tax you 25 percent. But today's timing caught even some staffers off guard, along with key allies on Capitol Hill. It's just going to be a huge tax on American citizens. House Speaker Paul Ryan says he hopes the president will consider the unintended consequences. More businesses in the U.S. use steel than make it, meaning they might be less competitive under the new policy. A shocking revelation today out of New Zealand, where the country's intelligence agency has confirmed a teenager tried to assassinate Queen Elizabeth II nearly 40 years ago. It happened in 1981 during the Queen's visit to the city of Dunedin. 17-year-old Christopher Lewis shot at the monarch as she was heading for a science fair. People in the crowd and reporters heard the shot, but were told it was a falling sign or a car backfiring. It's alleged police and the government at the time covered it up, fearing future royal visits would be jeopardized. Lewis was arrested, but was only charged with lesser offenses, like discharging a firearm. He served that sentence, but was later sent to jail for murder, and in 1997, took his own life in prison. Equifax says it's found another 2.4 million Americans whose personal information was hacked in last year's massive data breach. Nearly 150 million people in the U.S., U.K., and Canada were affected. As we do more and more online, managing multiple passwords is becoming more difficult. But there is help from the same technology that can put us at risk. 
We may think we've got good passwords, but it turns out the average person uses just 12 passwords to access 150 online accounts. And they're usually not very good. Think more in terms of passphrases. Think of sentences rather than words. But remembering so many long passphrases is nearly impossible. The answer? Password managers that store and encrypt all of our passwords. You probably already have a basic password manager built into your operating system or your internet browser. But experts recommend downloading an upgrade. Among the most popular, LastPass, 1Password, and Dashlane. They're often free or just a few bucks a month and easy to use. The password manager remembers all of your passwords from shopping to banking, email. It creates much stronger randomly generated passwords, then encrypts them, stores them, and autofills the login for every site you visit. The only thing you need to remember is what's called your master password, the thing that encrypts all of your data on your computer and on your phone. It works on your computer and your mobile devices and starts up as soon as you log in. How do you protect your password manager? Multi-step authentication using a thumbprint or facial recognition, all to keep cyber crooks at bay. Tom Costello, NBC News, Boston. In Health Matters tonight, California scientists have found that certain bacteria on our skin might protect us against skin cancer. In a study of mice, they found that a strain of staph bacteria, uh, bacteria often found on healthy skin produces a substance that can stop cancer cells from growing. Lab tests show it could be effective against melanoma and squamous cell carcinomas, but they need more studies to find out if it has the same impact on humans. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A woman who has her face on a postage stamp is crisscrossing the country, telling girls that the sky's the limit when it comes to choosing careers. Right now, less than 10% of pilots in Canada are women, and even fewer are like Melissa Haney. But she's trying to change that. The smile on her face from the cockpit just says it all. Melissa Haney was born to fly. Every day I look out the window and say, my gosh, I love my job. Haney started her career as a flight attendant for Air Inuit in 2001. She got her pilot's license, and in 2004, her career in aviation took off. So how come I became a pilot? By 2016, she had become Air Inuit's first female Inuk captain, flying a Dash 8. I think when they see somebody who comes onto the plane and you come on and you're in your uniform and you're proud of who you are, they'll be like, oh... Okay, she can do it, then I can as well. And now she's trying to inspire other young women across Canada by traveling the country with Elevate Aviation, hoping to encourage more young women to become pilots, like 17-year-old high school student Alexandria Short. It's not something that I even realized that women necessarily did. I've seen a lot of women flight attendants, but not a lot of women pilots. I think our new challenge will be getting young girls into it and staying in it for the rest of their career. Last summer, Melissa was chosen to be featured on a commemorative stamp for the Canadian 99s. The 99s of Canada are a group of um, female aviators. She too has become a pioneer. You know, if one or two can come out and say, you know, I would like to be a pilot one day, and I'd be really honored. Shelley Steves, Global News, Riverview.
Good for her. And pilots don't get more unconventional than this. The adorable pictures of a monkey at the controls right after the forecast with Christy and a lot of people waiting for the sunshine and warmer yes. temperatures. So it actually feels like spring. Yes. And today I would say it did feel like spring, in I my agree. opinion. Yes. I'm going to show you... Uh, the fact that we still have some snow in our forecast, Chris, it was feeling like spring, but we do have that. I, I want to just quickly show you this. This is from our website. We have an interactive map on our website, on the weather page, and you can actually have a look at where we've had uh, earthquakes in the last little while, and you can see the one that we had uh, today. Also, you can see aftershocks there. It's a really cool interactive map. You can go get it on our Sky Tracker app as well, and there's our website on the weather page if you want to check it out. Very cool little uh, interactive wet uh, map there. This is the sunset for you. The sun actually set at 5.54. Thanks to Trish for that great shot from our from our chopper. But um, I wanted to show you this because it was so beautiful today. And guess what? Here we are March 1st. We are 20 days away from spring, so we're not too far. We change our clocks uh, uh, forward, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. So you'll really start to feel a change in the coming weeks. So don't despair, everyone, despite the fact that tonight temperatures are really going to plummet. And that's why we have a chance of snow in our forecast again. So we've got a little wave of moisture, not a lot, that's going to move onshore through the overnight periods early in the morning. And that means mainly for higher elevations across Metro Vancouver, lower elevations would see showers, but you'll see that across Vancouver Island as well. So spotty showers lower down, spotty flurries higher up for the day tomorrow with mainly cloudy skies. And then our weekend is going to turn around, everyone. Those of you in the interior still deal Dealing with a significant snowfall along Highway 16, up towards Highway 97, up to 15 centimeters. That includes the Chilcotins and also Highway 3. So that's Pulsum Summit right through to Kootenai Pass, a mess right now. And you will see that through the day tomorrow. As you head into the weekend, that will be a much better day for travel. Those of you across the north coast, beautiful sunshine tomorrow. Snow expected in through uh, the BC Peace River region. Conditions ease off through the central and uh, interior and caribou region through the day tomorrow, but it continues across across the south. Of course, temperatures will warm up during the day, so the snowfall overnight changes over to rain during the day. South coast, so isolated showers, flurries over higher elevations, possible breaks of sunshine. The majority of the sunshine is headed our way for the weekend as temperatures warm up. And don't forget the Whitecaps game happens on Sunday at 3. I wanted to wish a couple of people's ha uh, happy birthday. Rona uh, Lemaire and Alma Gibson, congratulations to you both and a happy anniversary to Honey and Heinz sermon congratulations 70 years together and here's our weather window for tonight from yes that is the beach in vancouver if you can believe it just this past weekend white sand beach could be the bahamas yeah i know it's snow but it looks like it could be white sand mm -hmm. all right some adorable video coming out of a somber rescue mission in the democratic republic of congo tonight an orphaned baby chimp saved from poachers Pilot Anthony Kerr giving the curious baby named Musa a ride to a primate refuge. Along the way, the two bonded. Musa taking his turn at the throttle, enjoying the view out the window. What? Getting a little personal grooming help from Kerr and, of course, taking a well-earned nap. The two even taking time for a little snuggling along the way. Finally, the plane lands and Musa is taken into the loving arms of the staff at the chimpanzee refuge, but they certainly bonded on that flight. And I saw that video over and over again. It was so great. I, ha I saw it last night, but then again, I thought it was very cute and wonderful, and it's great what they did, but 
Never let the chimpanzee put his hands on the plane's <laughs> controls. That's not well, a good idea. Flying a plane so easy a monkey could do it. No, no, no. Maybe not for sure Maybe about not. that. Okay. The Canucks punching bag won't be taking any more no, punches. No, 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 that's true. Uh, yeah, you won't have Louis Erickson to complain about, at least not until next season. I'm not laughing at his misfortune, but he is the punching bag. Mm. Uh, he has been shut down for the rest of this year because of a rib injury. The $6 million man who could end up being the highest paid Canuck next season. He could very well be because if the Sedins say they're not going to make the same kind of money. He had just 10 goals in 50 games this year. Here's where he got hurt. Got hit behind the net by Max Domi in that Coyotes game on Sunday. One thing about his absence, it means the Canucks have another spot for another young forward to play the rest of this season. So how about this? It only took basically one hour for Seattle's prospective NHL team to get over 25,000 deposits on tickets. And there aren't even 25,000 seats at Key Arena. In fact, it only took 12 minutes to get 10,000 deposits on tickets. Now that response is way better than the one they got in Las Vegas when they went through this process. In fact, it took two days in Vegas just to get 5,000 deposits. And they never reached 25,000 as far as I know. So unless something crazy happens in the rebuilding of Key Arena in Seattle, Seattle should have an NHL team by 2020. All right, Carl Robinson and the Whitecaps will start the regular season Sunday afternoon at BC Place against Montreal. The Caps, as we have been telling you all winter, have done a bit of an overhaul on their roster, despite having what was pretty much a decent season last year. But the overhaul has meant more competition for jobs, not just at training camp, though. They are hoping the competition slides over into the regular season, where if you want to stay in the starting 11, it's designed to not be very easy. Competition for places in this squad is as strong as it ever has been since I've been here for six years now at this football club. And, and that shows that we're going in the right direction. And that will continue every day and every week and every transfer window that comes available. The way you become successful at a football club over a period of time is, is by building, creating and developing a, a culture, an atmosphere, an environment where everyone's on their toes and no one can afford to have a day off. Because if you have a day off, then you're not actually trying to get better each day. Now, there are many ways that people motivate themselves, but nothing is quite as powerful as environment. BC Lions general manager Ed Hervey is completely motivated by where he was born and raised in South Central Los Angeles during the 70s, the 80s, and early 90s, in many ways the darkest times for that area. Ed Hervey's dream was always to avoid the gangs, avoid the trouble, and find a way to get him and his family out of Compton. I would always sit by my mother's bedside every night before she went to bed and tell her that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get us out of here. The here that he's talking about is Compton, California. That's where Ed Hervey grew up, one of the most dangerous places in America. I've seen a person get shot in front of our doorstep. I've seen guys tied to the back of vehicles and dragged down the streets. I mean, you see a lot of vicious... Uh, things happen to people. And what made matters worse was the toxic relationship between Compton citizens and the police. We feared the police more than we feared uh, what could happen in the neighborhood. It wasn't like we had um, a way out where it was like, oh, well, let's just move across town. It was, uh, we, you know, we were just as much stuck there 
as the people who were committing uh, a lot of the, the crimes we were witnessing. For Hervey, there was one way out of Compton, football. He was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in 1995 because his motivation was far more intense than most. My motivation was I hated where we lived, I hated our neighborhood, I hated everything uh, about it. He eventually made it to the Edmonton Eskimos of the CFL. Throwing to the goal line, it's complete to Ed Hervey! But despite being a country removed from Compton, the memories never leave. When the movie Straight Out of Compton came out, Hervey's reaction to it was different than most. When I walked out of the theater, you know, I remember having the chills because I, it was at that moment when you have I have moments like that where I realized, like, man, I I got I, I escaped that I got out of there. Football allowed him to keep the promise he made to his mother. He got his whole family out of Compton, but despite now being the BC Lions GM, despite spending the last 20 years of his life in Canada, the old neighborhood still motivates him. That's exactly it. And I have people say, you're never going to go back. You're never going to allow yourself to go back. I says, no, you don't understand the scars of having been through that. I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of overworking at times, but my overwork is the passion for the game, but it's more uh, innate fear of um, failing and wanting to continue to be successful. Not having to go back to South Central. Never. Very honest man. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing to do, get out of that neighborhood. And uh, he's got a home forever here, for sure. Yes, no Morty, what he loves tonight. Canada. You bet. And uh, he's been here for two decades now. So there very, go. very cool. Thanks, Squire. Here's today's snow report. Plenty of fresh snow has fallen over the last 24 hours. Whistler Blackcomb, 45 new. Grouse, 30 new. Cypress, 14 new at a base of 425. And 34 new centimeters at Sasquatch. Revelstoke, a base of 257. 213 Manning Park. 290 Powder King, 246 with 15 new Mount Washington. Big White, a base of 295, 264 Silver Star, 17 new centimeters at Sun Peaks, and 14 new at Apex. It's a date BC wine lovers mark on their calendars every year, the Vancouver International Wine Festival, am I right? Mm -hmm. It's in full, see, Squire doesn't drink, so I, he doesn't know I, what we're talking nothing about. Nothing about this. It's in uh, full swing right now, and as Linda Aylesworth reports, you wouldn't recognize it from what it was 40 years ago. 25,000 wine lovers are attending the Vancouver International Wine Festival this week. They will sip and learn about nearly 1,500 different wines from 16 countries. But it wasn't always a world-class event. It took 40 years to get here. I mean, that brings us all the way back to 1979. Imagine what wine and food culture was like in the city then. Harry McWaters doesn't have to imagine the first festival. He was there, along with 1,000 other wine enthusiasts. It was the Mandavi Wine Festival at that time, but it was really interesting, and it was, uh, you could see the excitement that, with people that were there about having you know, a great producer like Mandavi come to Vancouver. Robert Mandavi, the famed California wine producer, was invited to participate by a member of the Playhouse Theatre Company. And he said to them, 
I'm not, I don't want to do a bake sale or a car wash. Let's do something different. I have this crazy idea. Let's raise some money by having a wine tasting. Robert Mondavi was always passionate about wine, food, and the arts. So 1979, being able to support the Playhouse Festival back in those days and uh, supporting the arts like that was always something he was passionate about. A few years later, the California Wine Festival expanded to include BC wines, but they were hardly put in the spotlight. But they put us along one wall and we were kind of segregated. Of course, back then, BC wines got a bad rap, in some cases deservedly so. But we produced good wines too. McWaters says most BC consumers just weren't ready for them yet. The best wines we made were the toughest sell. So the people that were expecting British Columbia wines to either be red and high alcohol and sweet or sweet, cold and bubbly. Clearly, we've come a long way in the last 40 years. Our wines, our appreciation of them and our festival. It's introduced people to wines of the world and certainly wines of British Columbia as we've grown and expanded that we've had, it's a great venue. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.